Well, hopefully this uh, last week, some of you fell among the, you know, 10 million or so uh, who watched this little YouTube clip called Some Good News. Uh, famous actor John Krasinski, who uh, perhaps most famously portrayed Jim Halpert on the show The Office, he started producing this uh, news show right from his his living room, and uh, it, and it's all stories of of just good news. It's just stories of people, real people, in the midst of this current coronavirus pandemic, and, and it traces the good and the, the beautiful things that are happening in the world, even in the midst of, of chaos. And I hope, Isaiah, I hope you will like it because it's just really encouraging, right? Maybe you've watched it and you get to see um, the, 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 the crowd of people, right? Individuals who are, are sewing masks at home, major corporations who have shut down operations voluntarily in order to produce on a mass scale, you know, the, the kind of protective equipment that our, our frontline medical workers need to remain safe. It's a beautiful thing to watch these, these teachers as they line up in a line to honk and say hi to their students. Or, or in one of the videos, he actually the teacher shows up with a whiteboard and he stands out on the patio of one student who's struggling. And, and he walks her through the, the, the problems there. He tells of stories of, of neighbors who are mowing each other's lawns or who are taking care to provide extra gifts for their delivery drivers or, or, or just to feed and to care for those who are vulnerable. And there's just something glorious about seeing a, a mass of people doing away with the individualism that normally marks our world and embracing a common cause and pray, embracing a common good. We as Christians get to watch these things and just delight over the image of God, the imago dei of seeing the good of their creator maker as he works through their life to bring good and, and truth into the world. And I watched that clip and I was just feeling all the good feels. And then, you know, it was this interesting thing, though, is I had this prayer of Jesus in front of me. I had this prayer of Jesus in front of me as I watched these clips, and I wondered if perhaps that I was a little too easy to appease, that the glory of what I saw on the screen was, was maybe not quite the same magnitude of glory as what Jesus was praying for in this clip. And maybe you are like me and you watch that video and you just sigh and you think, oh, if we could just have more of this good human spirit, then we would be better off, that everything would be better. But as we read this prayer of Jesus, I think he's telling us that the human spirit is not enough. It makes me think of that famous C.S. Lewis quote, right? that it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Because you see, we can become the very best versions of ourselves and it still not be enough. And I think if we look at the prayer of Jesus, his desires for us, we would find that we were made for more. That we were made for more. And the first thing he tells us is, is, is one of these uh, kind of awkward words, perhaps, or it's just strange. 
But I think the text tells us that, that we were made, we were created and designed by God to be people who experience God's glory. Now, glory is a, a, admittedly a word that you, like, you hear it and you're like, yeah, I know what that means. And then somebody asks you, hey, define what that means. And you, you go, well, uh, I mean, it's kind of like good things that are, pre- uh, it's kind of like fame. I mean, it's like light, it's bright. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure of the words, right? And so as we go through this, we'll hope to to look at the word glory in a a few different lights to try and give definition to it. But it's clear from the text that it is Jesus' desire, his desire for himself, his desire for his followers, and his desire for God the Father, that they would experience God's glory. And I think one of the things that this helps us to understand is that stories of the the strong human spirit, the stories of of human beings who uh, become their best version of themselves is that even in that collaboration, they can never become more than the sum of their parts, right? There's still a group of humans doing all that humans can do, but Jesus when he prays. Jesus, when he prays, alludes to this much grander story, a story that's not just confined uh, to the plane of earth, but to the plane of heaven. And the first allusion he makes in this story is of this glory, a glory that existed before the world existed, a glory that existed before the very foundation of the earth. You can hear him in verse 5, and Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And again, in verse 24, he says, um, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of this world. You see, there's this glory that exists outside of mankind. It existed before the very world uh, came into being. And so we see that this glory, this this excellence, right? This, this beauty, this luminescent thing existed bef- without us ever being involved. And in fact, it, it, it not only existed, it existed as the members of the Trinity, the Christian Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three different people gave glory and praised one another because glory is kind of like that, right? Glory is not just a, a beautiful thing or an excellent thing. Glory is kind of like fame, right? It takes someone else to appreciate the goodness and the beauty. To It takes somebody else to give glory. And that's exactly the kinds of things that Jesus is alluding to, that the Father glorified the Son. The Son glorified the Father, right? They each glorified the Holy Spirit and received glory from the Holy Spirit before we ever became a question. It was self-sufficient. It was beautiful. But the second allusion that Jesus makes into his prayer is that this glory does not stay as it was. The prayer that Jesus prays seems to indicate that in in, in some way and and somehow that glory is is added. That glory is is in the process of being given. Look at what he says in verse 1. The main prayer he prays is, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. 
So at the beginning of the story, we have uh, uh, this glory that is self-sufficient, this glory between Father and Son and Holy Spirit that has no need for, for development or growth. But yet somehow in this moment, as Jesus sat on the, the verge of going to the cross and to the, and to the grave, Jesus prays that, that some kind of glory, some addition or, or, or some magnification or, or, or some aspect of glory be revealed and, and be worked out, right? Perhaps that God's glory would be put to use and thus found to be even more glorious. And we find out pretty quickly uh, in the third illusion, but it's, well, I guess it's not an illusion. <laughs> the third movement in the story is that Jesus proclaims that that glory ends up with you, that that glory ends up with me, that that glory ends up with us all. You see in verse 24, Jesus prays and he says, Father, I desire that they also, right, the people who have believed in his name, those whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Why? To see my glory. That they would be the audience who would, who would get to experience the glory of God firsthand, to see it face to face. But then he does something even more. In verse 22, he says, that the glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. That the glory that you have given to me, Jesus prays, I have given to them. Do you understand what that means? Do you understand that that means that this glory, which belongs properly to uh, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this glory which God contains and exists in and of himself is being put into practice in time and space so that it could come to you. That you could be the, the audience for such glory, the recipient of such glory, but also in some strange way it's participant. I think of uh, one of the clips of, from this week's episode of that Some Good News. And it's at the end of the show, and, and uh, John gets this uh, nine-year-old girl on the line, right? And, and her mom had posted on Twitter about how disappointed she was that she wouldn't be able to, to go to Hamilton for her ninth birthday as, as it had been promised to her. And so there was Aubrey on the video, and, and, and you get this, this really fun and exciting moment as, as John first introduces her to his, his wife, Emily Blunt, who plays Mary Poppins, of course. And uh, they have this fun interchange. But then something really special happens. Then, as, as John is, is talking to her about what she is, is missing out on, from not being at Ham not being able to go see the musical Hamilton, Lynn Manuel Miranda jumps on the call. Right? It's a Zoom call, and all of a sudden you see this, this little nine-year-old girl, right, in the middle of a video with uh, with John Krasinski and Emily Blunt on one side, right? And Lynn Manuel Miranda on the other. These extraordinarily famous people. 
These people who, who carry uh, in our world as much glory as you can imagine someone could be, right? These are the people that we all want to be friends with. We all want to hang out with. People would pay a lot of money to be on a Zoom call with those two parties. And there was this little girl. And you could see her, her eyes get real big when, when Lynn Mignol joins the call. But then Lynn Mignol starts singing. And he starts singing uh, the, the, the title song from the, 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 the musical Hamilton. And, and pretty soon, uh, the, the boxes of the Zoom call start filling up into this big collage as, as all of the members of the original cast of, of Hamilton join in from their homes, just kind of like Josh did here for us this morning, uh, joined in the chorus of serenading this nine-year-old girl. And you get to see this big collage of faces singing and dancing, and there in the middle is this little nine-year-old girl being serenaded and, and, and sharing and basking in the glory of these famous and accomplished actors and actresses and musicians. But that's not all. You realize something, right? That, that she not only gets to be on a phone call with them, she becomes part of the show. Her square is there in the midst, and she becomes, in some strange way, a participant in the beauty of the moment. Right? I can tell you, um, there are probably videos that I could go watch and watch the original cast sing that song in themselves and to themselves and amongst themselves, and it would interest me very little. But something about seeing that nine-year-old girl's face as she receives that glory from the cast, as she participates in it, makes this collage, this beautiful demonstration of people who are so rich and famous that they have no reason to care for this little nine-year-old girl that they ever met. But they chose to, to come to her. They chose to descend to her in order to bring her in with them on that call. You see, the glory of Easter is that Jesus did something in that moment. They, he and the Father designed this moment in such a way that you and I have the opportunity to be a, a square on the collage of a Zoom call with God the Father on one side, God the Son on the other, and God the Holy Spirit around us. That as they sing the song of redemption, we get to sit and be both the recipient of their song, but also in some way a participant in the glorious display of their work. And yet, too often, if you're like me, we're content with what we have. It would be as if Aubrey, in the middle of their, their chorus, right, as they're singing the song Alexander Hamilton, that she interrupted them and said, Hey, you know, guys, it's getting kind of, it's getting kind of late. I'm supposed to do a TikTok video with my friends where we're going to lip sync to this song, right? It's like choosing to hang out with your other nine-year-old friends instead of choosing to, to sit in the glory of that moment. It's inconceivable. And yet it's the kind of trade that we make every day. When we choose to prioritize the glory of fellow humans over the glory that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost brings us into. You see, the glory of Easter is that Jesus 
did not leave us on our own, but that he did something in his death and resurrection. He did something to bring you onto the call, to make the way possible for you to be a part. The glory that was added at Easter was that Jesus made your inclusion. And so the best version of ourselves, the best version of human spirit is not glorious enough because we were made to live and to bask and to participate in the glory of God. But it's not just his glory. It's not just his glory. It also goes on in this prayer to to tell us that we were made to experience the unity of God. The collaboration of God, the the oneness of God. Unity is another kind of funny word, but but perhaps the stories that John was telling uh, on that good news is exactly the right kind of idea, right? That in those clips, whether it's, it's the medical workers coming together, right? Whether it's the corporations banding together to create life saving equipment, we see a unity of purpose. Right, a unity of experience, a, a united unity of, of resources. As, as humans come together to tackle these problems, as humans work together to bring about good. And there's a reason we tear up when we see those things. There's a reason that, that we are moved those things because we were made to be unified. We were made to cooperate with one another. We were made to to magnify and to glorify the work that each other did. We were made for unity. We were made for community. But we were made for, for it to an extent that John Krasinski could not imagine. Did you hear how Jesus prayed? The, the way that Jesus prays is he says this in verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Why? That they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved and loved them even as you loved me. You see, the unity comes from the glory that God has given us. The unity, the the, the collaboration, the the collage of the, 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 the Zoom call comes because of what Jesus has invited us to be. Our unity is based on the glory. And so unity that's based on not on that glory can't be of the same nature and kind. And if you think about the kinds of unity that we often see in the world, the kinds of unity that we often celebrate in the world, it's often a kind of uh, utilitarian unity, right? It's a unity of, of utility. It's, it's a joining, it's a coming together because there's a, a common problem. Or it's a joining or it's a coming together because we have a, a common like or joy, right? It's, it's sports fans of the same team coming together because they want to cheer on their team together, right? It, it is people coming together to, to solve a, a problem in our world because they alike share in the misery from that problem, right? It's a unity of utility, but what Jesus offers us here is a ut- unity of love, a love not of something that might happen in the future, but it's a love that has already been given to us. 
right? Jesus prays that they would be one so that we can see, so that we can know that love. Because you see, a unity of utility is always, by definition, contingent, right? Aubrey, if, if we're using a, a unity of uh, utility, Aubrey wouldn't make the cut for the video. She's not singing. She's not participating. She's not adding a whole lot to the, to the exercise. Right, a unity of utility is, is by definition temporary. Right, once the problem is solved, right, once the team is disbanded, once the season ends, and there's no reason to gather together anymore. Right, a unity of utility is narrowly focused. So you can be unified with your, your work colleagues uh, because of your particular gifts or training or education in one aspect of your life and experience no unity with them in regards to the rest of who you are as a person, right? It's contained and it's confined. It's narrowly focused to one aspect of our being. But a unity of love is very different. See, a unity of love that's already been showed, there's no contingency to base it on. There's no temporariness because it doesn't go away. There's no narrow focus because love, by its definition, embraces the whole of someone. And so we experience these kinds of unity very, very differently. It makes me think of, of uh, this song it's a delightfully fun song by uh, an artist named Ben Rector called Old Friends, right? And the theme of the song is you can't make old friends, right? You can make new ones, but, that, but you can't turn them into old friends. Old friends have something that new friends will never have. They have this history, right? They have these experiences. They have this love that's been built up over time because of what they have gone through. Right, And so you experience those old friends in a very different way than you do some new acquaintances, right? The new co-workers or the new people, uh, the new neighbors on your street. See, even the best of human relationships um, is based upon the, the prospect of a future love, right? The hope is that, is that we, we gather around this one thing and then that it, it spreads, right? The coworker becomes a friend that you actually want to hang out with, right? That, that the, 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 the attractive guy or girl on the other end of the room would become your girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, right? It's always the prospect of what's in the future. And so you experience those relationships on edge, a little worried, a little concerned about your presentation, Am I good enough? Am I right enough? Am I beautiful enough? But old friends, you experience them in a very different way. Hopefully, the Lord has given you the, the kinds of friends that you measure not in, in months or, or years, but in decades, right? And those are the kinds of friends that you get together with, and you're not worried about impressing them. You're not worried uh, about if they will accept you because you've already received the love. The love is already built between you, and so you can engage with them on projects in complete honesty. You can engage with them um, on entertainment or, or fun with a wholehearted desire. No reserve is held back. Right? You can be so united in, in purpose and experience. You can be so united in your resources because it is based upon a love that's already been given. 
If that's true with our groups of old friends, how much more? How much more is a unity that's based upon the love of God? Did you hear what Jesus said? Father, that you have loved them even as you have loved me. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them. That the kind of categorically the bursting uh, kinds of love that the Father shows the Son, that is the love that He has given to you and He's given to me. And if we can gauge Him in that kind of unity, if we can engage one another in that kind of unity of love, well then the unity uh, uh, of uh, folks sewing masks together is just a, a, a pale reflection of the unity that God offers. Because you see, the best version of ourselves uniting is not nearly enough. Because we were made for the unity that comes from God. And finally, I think this text indicates to us not just what we were made for, but what Easter was made for. Not just what uh, Jesus desires for us, but how what he is doing in that moment brings us to such a place. So we see that we're just uh, not, not just made to experience God's glory and not just made to experience his unity, but also that Easter was made so that we could experience those things. That Easter was made so that we could experience the life that we were made for to begin with. You see in verse 2, that Jesus prays, Father, you know, glorify your son. Why? Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, the life that we have been made for, the life that we have been built for, isn't just the glory of God and the unity of God, but to be with God, to know God as you know a friend, to know God as he is. But the text is really clear that not everyone does. The text is really clear that, that while he is praying for those who, who have received that knowledge, who, who, who do experience that knowledge, that there is this group of people who don't, Right? Verse 25 says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you. And in verses 21 and 23 and 25, he, 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 he prays his prayer saying, so that the world might know you, indicating that they currently don't, right? So how or, or why do we not know? And the story which Jesus is alluding to tells us, it tells us that, that actually, in one sense, we have known God. In one sense, we all have always known God because we've always known intuitively of his, of his power, of his glory. We've, we've always known that such glory exists which our world cannot contain. We've always known that such unity exists in the world which we don't see with our eyes. We've known of his glory and his reputation even if we didn't know its name. But the Bible also tells us that we've chosen to ignore it. We've chosen, actually, the word is to suppress it, 
to hide it. The words from Romans 1 come to my mind, that although they, meaning all of humankind, claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being. We couldn't see God. We couldn't quite figure out how we could attain God, and so we dismissed God and chose instead the kinds of glory and the kinds of unity that we could make for ourselves. It sounds ridiculous. It sounds crazy, but it's true. Right now, I'm, uh, me and, and Ellie are reading through uh, Harry Potter, uh, The Order of the Phoenix, right? And in the story, this great and powerful and, and evil wizard, Lord Voldemort, comes, uh, has come back into power. He's come back uh, to life, as it were. And, and so, uh, the powers that be, though, don't want to acknowledge that this is the truth, right? They don't want to, to believe that it's true. And so the, the minister of magic, Cornelius Fudge, right, he, he pretends like it's not true, but he doesn't just pretend, right? He, like, he stifles every indication that that, that, that that might be true in himself and in the world, right? He, he, not, he, he suppresses every thought that maybe he would have to conform the way that he lived his life because he didn't want to acknowledge it. Because to acknowledge that such power existed in the world and was opposed to him would force him to submit to some harsh realities. It would force him to submit to the people that, that, that he had allowed such a thing to happen and he would perhaps lose his power. It would force him uh, to acknowledge that the, the world was going into a very dark and, and scary time. And he did not want to be that to be the case. And so he and, and Dolores Umbridge and, and all of these people create these evil webs of lies to hide any indication that the true, of what the truth was. They hide these things because they're afraid to submit it. Because if you've seen the truth, if you've seen such glory, if you've seen such power, if you've seen such unity, if you've seen such love, you either have to submit to it or you have to suppress the knowledge of it. And so that's why Jesus says over and over and over again that he is coming, that he is coming and that this hour would glorify him because it is in this hour, in this moment of his death and resurrection, that he would make God known. He says in verse 23, that the world may know that you sent me and love them. In verse 26, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That somehow through the course of this hour, the sequence of events that he would do, that he would bring knowledge to those who had thus far suppressed it and hidden themselves from it. That he would in that moment break the web of lies that they had put together in order that they might see the truth. And you see, the Christian gospel tells us that when Jesus goes to the cross... He goes to the cross for people who all at a uniform level reject him. He goes to the cross for a people who all say, I would rather live my life my way than your way. People who were under condemnation and judgment. And he goes and he says, I want you to be a part 
And so when Jesus dies on the cross, he pays a penalty uh, for their lies. He pays the, the consequences of the mirages that they've built out. He, he goes to the cross and he breaks the powers of darkness that would, uh, that would continue to conceal the truth. He goes to the cross and to the tomb so that he could come out of it. Because if you've seen someone who was dead and alive again, the power and their glory is undeniable. All that's left is the decision whether you're going to submit or whether you're going to suppress the knowledge of that power. And so Jesus prays in this prayer and his longing and his desire is made quite clear that we would know, that we would experience, that we would find God. And if we, we meaning you and me, right? You, me, and us, if we are going to, to be with Jesus, then we must choose to submit to him. To, 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 to repent of the web of lies that we've built up in ourselves, to, to confess to God that, that we are not okay, right? To, to repent of the, the bad deeds that we've done, but also to repent of our best deeds. If we did those best deeds in an effort to say that we don't need God in the world, if that is where our heart was, then even our best deeds are evil because they're part of the web of lies, and so uh, submitting to, to the knowledge of the glory and the unity and the love of God means that we come and we say we are not enough. But it's not just repentance, it's also this proactive belief, right? To, to, to say that, that it, since this is true, my life cannot be the same. Since this is true, I can no longer be the supreme interest of my own life. Instead, I, I must give up my pursuit of my own glory. I must give up the pursuit of my own love interests. And in giving them up, Jesus says, we can find it. Not the kind of glory that we would build for ourselves. Not the kind of love that we would wish on the world, but the love and the glory and the unity of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That because of what Jesus did when he died and because of what Jesus did when he rose, we can find out that our best version of ourselves is not enough because we were made for life with God. You know, one of my favorite parts about those clips that, that John Krasinski has put out, this some good news, is that... Um, there's a lot of talk in our world as we all go through this pain and sorrows about distractions, right? We need outlets. We need uh, things that distract us from the hardness of life. And so we hear of, of things that are, quote unquote, therapy, right? We watch the old sports games to escape the feeling of the present, right? We, we go to <clears throat> uh, watch comedians as an outlet, as an escape from reality, or Netflix, or exercise, or food, or whatever it would be. But, but John, while he could have created a pretty funny comedy special to distract us, right? He could have recreated some Office episodes to distract us. He said what the world needs is they need to look at the reality of the hurt through the lens of what is good through the lens of what is right. And to that uh, extent, I am deeply appreciative of him 
he finishes this last video by saying that no matter how dark it gets, remember that there is always some good in the world. You know, Christianity, uh, for many of you, the way you've thought about it, the way you've uh, interacted with it, it's, it's very much along the lines of, of you know, the old uh, Karl Marx uh, theory statement that religion, right, is the opium of the people, right? At its very best, it's a relief valve, and at its very worst, it's a, it's a delusion that hides the truth from us. But what Jesus shows us in this passage is that that could not be farther from the case, that it is, in fact, the good news of Jesus that tells us to look at the ugliness and the darkness and the scariness of this world dead in the face, to be completely sober in our reflection and honest with what our heart's desires are. It is the good news of Jesus that the glory of God is possible, that the, the unity and love of God is possible for those who submit to him. It is the sober sobriety of that claim that gives us hope. See, Jesus' plan is not just to tell us how bad things are in the world, but to offer us his glorious plan, his glorious plan that he has already done, that he's already put into effect to restore us, to redeem us, to bring us back to the life with God that we were always meant to have. Brothers and sisters, the best version of ourselves is not enough to make this world right. The human spirit cannot overcome the battles and the web of lies that we have told ourselves. Only Jesus in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his intercession for us, and one day at his return, only the life of Christ can give us the life we long for, the life we were always meant to have, the life we have with God. Pray with me. Father, I pray for us in this moment and in this time, Lord, that you would reveal yourself anew. Lord, that the reality of what you have done in the world would strike our hearts anew. God, that you would give us a better dream of our lives than we ever thought possible because we will be with you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.